When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada, Dundalk, and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the new and pre-owned Renault, Dacia, and Opel range. And a car finance specialist on-site to arrange a finance package that suits your budget. Low APR and zero deposit packages available. See blackstonemotors.ie. Welcome to Late Lunch this Tuesday afternoon. Thank you for joining us on the show once more. Coming up today, Coldplay, my artist of the week, cutting her locks for a very special reason. Education, the key to progression in life and the burning of the custom house 100 years on. All coming up on the show and more besides over the next couple of hours. If you'd like to get in touch, 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me to the show. We begin, as is our want and has been for quite some time on late lunch, with the head of the Department of Biology, director of the Human Health Research Institute at Maynooth University, a great friend of ours, Professor Paul Moyna. Hello again. Hi, Jerry. Thanks for joining me on the show. I suppose first today, the Indian variant. Good news from Pfizer and AstraZeneca regarding protection. Yeah, that's good news, Jerry. Um, I think with all the variants so far, and there's been a lot of commentary in terms of their potential to potentially bypass the uh, vaccine. But so far, the vaccines are working really well and giving really good protection, especially protection against serious illness and um, death. So, and that's the main thing, really, in terms of vaccines, directly protecting those who get the vaccine and who are vulnerable. Um, again, some commentary around the fact that if you are vaccinated, could some of the variants, could you be prone to infection by some of the variants? That is a possibility. Uh, but importantly, we haven't reached the stage yet where we've seen people who've been vaccinated and are then infected with some of these variants getting very severely ill or dying. So I think that's a really good sign so far. But obviously we have to be vigilant and our surveillance systems have to be good in terms of picking up these variants and studying them and better understanding them. The Indian variant, it, it does seem to transmit better. In fact, it probably seems to transmit better, even better than the the UK variant. Mm. That was the one that sort of appeared around Christmas and has probably been responsible for the high numbers and why they've been so stubborn over the last number of weeks and months because clearly the UK variant transmits better than the original uh, variants. And if the Indian one transmits even better than that, again, it emphasises and highlights the need to get the vaccination programme 
uh, get many as many people vaccinated as quickly as possible. Yes. The Melbourne uh, situation, Australia have been very good at containing it. They haven't had a huge number of cases for the population or fatalities, thankfully. They've closed their borders and they were able to do that and they were strict on it. But I see Melbourne is in a fresh lockdown today for a time. Limerick has come to the fore, as you know, here in Ireland in recent days and there's real concern could we see, you know, regional or county counties being restricted, do you think, in the future? Probably unlikely, Jerry. I would say, just, just in terms of the size you mentioned, Melbourne there and Australia being very good in terms of keeping control on numbers. Um, now, they will be entering their winter months now. So, yeah. You know, they, they will have some challenges. And I think it's really important for countries, including Australia and New Zealand, because they, as I said, they've been very successful in dealing with it so far. They've essentially closed off their borders. Now, to have a bubble between the two countries. But I think there is going to be a challenge. They're still faced with the problem of opening up and when to open up, and mm. especially when to open up and relieve some of the quarantine, you know, in terms of the mandatory hotel quarantine. Yes. Um, so that's going to be a challenge. So then more locally, I guess our regions are, are so small, Jerry. I don't see us going to this regional base, as you right. may recall. You know, we spoke a few weeks ago, I think, about Donegal, and now there's less talk about Donegal. So... Things like this, especially the virus is so transmittable, transmissible, you can have hotspots appearing and maybe some super spreading events. So it emphasizes again, the need to be vigilant and again, not to relax too much, be, be uh, wary of the fact that this virus transmits very well. And, and even especially as vaccines are rolled out, we still need to be cautious until, you know, quite a sizable proportion of the population are vaccinated. Mm. I got my second one uh, last week. I'll be a week, uh, you know, over that uh, tomorrow, which gives me, thankfully, you know, the protection then uh, at this stage, which I'm very grateful for. And I encourage everybody to take a vaccination. But there is hesitancy. I was talking to somebody who's involved uh, quite a lot in the programme and they were saying to me that, you know, younger people, 25 to 34 year olds and with ethnic minorities as well, it's a real challenge. Yeah, but the younger groups, Jerry, may have something to do with the fact in terms of just evaluating their risk and their risk yeah. of the virus because, you know, the younger people tend to be not as vulnerable as older people to the virus in terms of especially severe COVID. So they may be looking at that, doing that calculation. But again, um, you know, the, the, these vaccines, we're, we're in a situation that we could only have dreamed about, you know, a year ago in terms of having four licensed vaccines now that work really, really well. And the other thing is they're very, very safe, okay? With two of them, the AstraZeneca and the Johnson & Johnson, there are these rare associated clotting events, but they are extremely rare. And I think in terms of when you look at hesitancy, you're probably looking at, I look at two groups. There's some people who probably are spreading disinformation and misinformation. I think it's very difficult to appeal to that group. There are others who have genuine concerns, genuine concerns about vaccines and worried that there may be some side effects associated with these vaccines. And, you know, for those people, I think all you can do really is discuss the data with them and try to reassure them that, number one, they're really very, very effective. And secondly, they are very safe. And of all the medicines we take, they're certainly by far the safest. Like if you look at commonly used medicines and you were to read the label and the potential side effects associated with them, or, you know, the, these vaccines are really very, very safe. And I think that's all we can do and be very transparent. And I think if you look at the regulatory agencies, it's the EMA that, that oversaw the actual licensing of these. They're very cautious. They look at all of the scientific data 
And they're also very open and very transparent, as we saw when there were these very rare events, these very rare clotting events. You know, that was studied, that was studied in detail. So it's not a case that, you know, there are concerns there with respect to our side effects that haven't been studied. It's really been this pharmacovigilance, as we would describe it, is really very, very intense. And they're the most studly vaccines ever, uh, just because in terms of the scale of the rollout. And so far, the side effects seem to be at a very, very, very low frequency. So firstly, they were very effective. Secondly, they're very safe. Mm, reassuring, Paul, to hear those words from you. Now, two things, I think, on a lot of people's minds at the moment, uh, hospitality and travel. And, of course, outdoor uh, dining and uh, public houses will be allowed uh, very shortly, within a number of days. That's progressing. And, and then the travel thing, this EU Digital Green Pass uh, talk today that Ireland hopes to be in a position to implement it by mid or late July. So, as you predicted some months ago, I was just remember your words uh, time and again with the summer season coming uh, seasonality the vaccinations etc there's great hope now Paul there really is from when we began talking and we were in the doldrums at times yeah I think there is there is hope Jerry, and I think there is a recognition that we, we, we have to begin to move forward and begin to open up in a cautious way not only open up internally within the country but also externally as well there is a concern, obviously, at the moment with respect to the variants, especially the Indian variant, and trying to at least slow down. I think the best we can do, because the Indian variant is already here with us. I think there's over 70 cases, like Killian de Gascon mentioned last week, there's over 72 cases was uh, identified as of last week. So the variant is here, so it's, it's very difficult to keep these variants out. I think the best we can do is to try to slow their um um, into, their input into Ireland so we can slow that down to give the vaccination programme a chance but again that milestone which again I think is still very realistic that by the end of June we're hoping to have like the vast majority of the adult population vaccinated you know in excess of 80% if we get to that stage as I said these vaccines are going to protect us against the variants they work really really well in terms of protecting especially in terms of severe disease so if we can get to that stage where most of us are vaccinated, I think we have to begin that process of opening up. Uh, and again, we're such an open country, such an open economy. I think it's going to be very difficult not to embrace that um, uh, system in Europe. Uh, so I think I think there's lots to be hopeful for. And then I think we need to have everything in place and really everybody who's eligible for a vaccine to be vaccinated before the winter months because I see day as more high-risk months relative to the summer months. But I think certainly cause for, for to be hopeful over the, over the coming months, Jerry. I have comments there coming, as usual, when you're on with me from listeners. What about the, the outbreaks in school at the moment? I know of a class that's been closed for two weeks. You're going to have that, Paul. You've mentioned it. You're going to have these flare-ups, aren't we? You, you, you will have, and it'll be interesting now to see, uh, for example, in come September, October, because at that stage we'll have most of the adult population vaccinated, but we won't have our children vaccinated. Some of the vaccine manufacturers, such as Pfizer, they're currently evaluating. It's actually going through for approval now in the US uh, to vaccinate 12 to 15 year olds. And we could be looking at a situation where the vaccine, those those teenagers in that age cohort may be eligible for vaccination. But we, we will be looking at, you know, what strategies do we use, for example, now in the winter months if our children aren't vaccinated? And there could be potential for outbreaks. And I think that's where if there are these outbreaks, that's where we need to embrace, you know, the technologies, the innovations that we've developed 
and especially, for example, rapid antigen testing, that's really a good use for rapid antigen testing, where if there is an outbreak, you can go in there and very quickly and rapidly sort of test everybody to see if they're at that infectious stage. So I think we'll have to be vigilant in schools, and that will probably apply, you know, in September. But certainly I think by embracing technology, we can do this so that it's, it, we, we end up in a situation where the experience for the student, for the teachers, is a better one and allows for students to go in there on a permanent basis uh, and, and in a relatively safe way. Mm. And, and another one, you know, uh, do you realise there are big concerns in hospitals? Some people who've got the uh, vaccines are in ICU very ill. I, I haven't heard that, Paul. Now, that's coming in from a listener. What is that based on or where is that coming from? Yeah, so generally, if you look at the numbers, Jerry, I haven't really come across, uh, you know, well-catalogued cases of people who've been vaccinated and fully protected. So it's a really important distinction here, Jerry, for all your listeners. So vaccination is not the same as full protection. So when you're vaccinated, you mentioned earlier, you've got your second vaccine, then it's going to be another week or so before you're fully protected. That's a really important uh, point to make. Yeah. So you've, you've got the vaccine. It takes your, your immune system about two to three weeks, even with the first dose, to make antibodies. Now, you do get some protection after the first dose and even better than after the second dose, but you don't get protection until a number of weeks after. So if you're vaccinated, if I'm vaccinated today and I'm exposed to the virus in the next one to two weeks, the probability is I'm going to get infected. Mm. So it'd be really interesting to see there when those people were um, uh, vaccinated. That's not to say the vaccines don't work 100%. They work really highly, better than we could have hoped for and protecting against severe disease, you know, into 95%. So you could have a small number of people who will still get sick. But again, that's a tiny, tiny number of, of people. So yes. it, I'm not saying it's not, uh, it's not possible. It is possible. But if it does happen, it will happen at a very, very low frequency. Mm. And, and interesting, when I had my second vax, uh, they just reminded me uh, that in the next 24 hours, I could feel a little off, which I did with the second Pfizer vaccination, but uh, just took the... Uh, Paracetamols, I was fine after 24 hours. And they did say, just to make uh, make a point, you are will be 95% covered, you know, in a number of weeks. Yeah. But there is still 5% that you could get this, uh, but you won't be as seriously ill if you didn't have it. So that yeah. were important then, points to take aboard. And the thing to remember then, Jerry, as well, is what we see with the, the real-world rollout of these vaccines, not only are they directly protecting you if you're vaccinated, but they're certainly reducing the transmission of the virus. Yes. So if we get to a stage where most people are vaccinated, even if somebody's infected, the reality is they're going to be interacting with, have close contacts with mostly people who are vaccinated and are protected, and that will suppress transmission of the virus. So when you get vaccinated, not only are you protecting yourself, but you're actually also helping the population as a whole in terms of limiting transmission of that virus. Absolutely. Get vaccinated. That's the message coming today from myself and uh, Paul Moyna on Late Lunch. Paul, your star. Thank you very much for joining us. Anytime, Jerry. Take care, Professor Paul Moyner there, Head of the Department of Biology, Director of the Human Health Research Institute. He knows what he's talking about at Maynooth University. If you have anything to say, I welcome your comments. Keep them coming. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me to the show. You can also call in on 1850-715-958. I love that ad, I have to say. Uh, tying in with my chat with Paul a moment ago, Drottenham District Chamber in collaboration with the HSE Public Health North East are holding a special webinar for Drottenham-based companies Thursday, this Thursday from 7 o'clock, that's the 27th of May. Dr Augustin Pereira and Dr Peter Finnegan, great man Peter, we know him well, will represent HSE North East on the webinar and speak on current back. Be- 
best practices in minimising the spread and risk of COVID-19 for businesses of all types, along with providing the opportunity for attendees to ask questions and seek advice related to their specific requirements. To register, contact Brenda at drahadachamber.ie or visit drahadachamber.ie for more details. Well worthwhile for businesses, for sure. A message there saying, uh, please let your listeners know that my wife got the vaccine and was quite sick. We know that, Louise, don't we? The AstraZeneca first jab, you may be unwell after the first jab. My wife was very ill with it for 24 hours. But it was 24 hours it passed. And you know, wasn't last week, you know me here, I came in, you came in and said, whoa, that was, we didn't say anything about it. What day was that? Thursday, the Mm -hmm. day after I got the vax. I wasn't well. I felt as if I had a flu. But it was, you know, 24 hours, paracetamol. I was fine. Just to mention that, thanks for the message indeed. Delighted to highlight it and tell you how I felt myself. Somebody else there on to me. I've just registered Jerry myself. Delighted to do so. That's good and great to hear. Louise, you know, in the last year, you spent time in Australia, didn't you? Did you? Good woman. Would you have stayed? Might you have stayed? Mm, I w- if, yeah, yeah. Okay. Think, yeah. Well, had you stayed, listen to this. You know, in Australia, you know, the last few years, they've had the shocking drought. They've mm-hmm. had the fires. They've had the floods. The they've yeah. had to deal with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Now there's a plague. A plague in, well, one part of Australia, New South Wales. Where a, Sydney is, yeah. Yes. That's where you were? Yeah. A plague of mice. <gasps> A I plague of, would you? Oh, You'd my be gone, God. would you? Can you even get a flight out of the country? No, you can't. <laughs> You'd have been oh. stuck at the minute. I've been looking at the videos. You know when you look in the distance and you think you're looking at... Um, horizon. Uh, you know, water on the horizon. Mm. And it moves left to right and you think there's a little breeze in it. That's what it's like in places. Millions a of them. sea of mice. Millions and millions and millions of oh, them. Oh, God. Would you be gone? I'd be gone, but where would you go to? Be up on the table for one. I think I'd have a cat wrapped around my neck. Are you really afraid of mice? Oh, isn't most people? I don't know. They don't bother me. They're a bit of a nuisance if you ever get them and the autumn time they come into the house, you trap them and get rid of them. I suppose if you no, had I'd a plague of them, it would be different. But, you know... But thousands of them, Jerry. Well, oh. I know a woman who I happen to live with who'd run under a car if a mouse appeared on the pavement. Now that's And, and, and it's shocking to think. Fear. Fear of mice. I've never seen anything like it. Do you think Do you think most people are afraid of mice? Yeah, I think so. Why Anybody out why, there? Why plagues are always those horrible things? Why can't they be hedgehogs or oh, yeah. cute, cute little things? Yeah, but I suppose there'll still be a problem if it was something else. I dare, I, I, I'd say you're right. I'd say most people fear mice. Well, yeah, mm, on the yeah. whole, I'd say most people. Anyone not afraid of a mouse out there just... Anyone know anyone in Australia that's Yeah, living fair. in the middle of this or whatever. How are you about mice? Or is there a scarcity of mouse traps? Mm, if you love mice or have you ever had many mice in your house? I should have told you the story. I had pet mice in my time. But I remember we were in Disney in Florida. Uh, the four of us, myself, Miriam, Jared and Sarah. And, you know, we were queuing for the various things. And there was one. Uh, he went into a theatre and I knew it was about mice but I didn't say anything so we queued and we went in and we sat down the lights went down the theatre and the next thing a mouse appeared on the screen people <laughs> might remember this who went to Florida at Disney then another mouse then, an- then loads of mouse and I could see herself beside me and the next thing you felt them running up the legs of your trousers oh god it was 3D yeah, yeah, was, yeah oh. it was, and it was air they were using air but it felt she jumped and climbed across rows of people screaming and out the door of the theatre. <laughs> I 
can still see it. a woman. And I walked out and I think I missed a left hook by a fraction. I'm <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, joking. <laughs> but she was terrified. Aren't I awful? Aren't I awful? I am. Poor I am. Woman. You know that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're I'm terrible. like a child. If you tell me, don't press that button, I'll press it. Don't, don't say that. that. Don't say, say it. it and I'll say it immediately. You know me. Anyway, that's our little Missy interlude on late lunch today. Maddie's been on to say, uh, I never understand why people are afraid of mice. They just run away from you, Jerry. Right on, Maddie. You are so spot on. They do run away from me. People just never realise that. Another listener, Mary. Hello, Mary. Really admire pennies, Jerry. They have staff at the door to ensure people wash their hands and take precautions going into the store. I'd, I'd ask all people to keep up the high standards, please, and wash their hands. Another one there says the Moderna and Pfizer COVID jabs are legally not vaccines. What are you talking about? Uh, their patents say they are gene therapy. Yeah, they work. They work on a different premise. They're a, a new concept altogether. But they are a vaccine. But they work in a different manner. That's all it is. You see people reading things into stuff. Mother of God, I don't. I don't know. Maybe I'll turn into a turnip here someday. <laughs> <laughs> and they, you'll all be right. You won't be right. You won't be right. I promise you. I'm not turning into a turnip any day soon. Late lunch, LMFM Radio 086-1800-658. If you want to get in touch with us on the show by WhatsApp or text or 1850-715-958. If you'd like to call in. We move on on the show today. A hundred years ago, this very day, a large group of assailants entered the James Gandon-designed custom house in Dublin, setting fire to the building and its contents, destroying rafts of official papers and records. A century on, the ramifications of the loss is still impacting on you and I and life in Ireland. To tell us more, I'm joined by genealogy expert Dr Jennifer Doyle from Ancestry, a global leader in family history. Jennifer, hello. Hello, how are you today? I'm really, really good. Thanks for joining me on the show. Uh, First of all, let's go back 100 years ago. The events around that day, what actually happened? So, it's two o'clock now. So, about an hour ago, 100 years ago, uh, 120 men of the 2nd Division of the uh, Dublin's IRA Brigade descended on the Customs House with gallons and gallons of paraffin. And what they wanted to do was they wanted to send a message to the British government in Ireland by destroying its administrative centre and destroying all the records at the Customs House. So they went in through all these warrens of little rooms and they set all the documents on fire. They soaked them all in paraffin and set them on fire. And that's the ramifications that we're still feeling today. If you can imagine all those records gone up in smoke over the next couple of days, it burned for a week. Mm. Did they realise, you know, ultimately the ramifications for successive generations ourselves today and even beyond us? Did they contemplate that? Did they not go in just to really disrupt, you know, local government, the revenue aspect of the British arm of law and order here in this country? They went in as a propaganda moment. Right. It's, they wanted to send a message around the world. Think about these pictures that would have gone across the newspapers, up and down the country. Um, and it, there's, it's even published in newspapers in New York. But yeah, they went into this with the view of destroying the records. So from 1898, the local government's board was established and that was centred in the Customs House. And all the records during the War of Independence, which has been raging on for nearly three years at this point, They've all been taken up to the customs house for storage. Mm. So they went in to destroy them. And of course, what's the 
records are a key thing when you're trying to control a population. So if you destroy the records, the control is gone. But the implications for genealogy, uh, they, they, oral history is so important in, our, in Ireland. They probably wouldn't have thought of that. But for us, trying to research people who lived then, it's an immeasurable loss. Mm. And that probably, you know, wasn't in that thinking. You can only imagine at the time how fractious it was and what was going on day to day. And they saw one aspect of this, but never probably contemplated what would actually be lost. Put it in context. What was lost? And as the saying goes, what's lost is gone forever. Is that true? Uh, It's so what was lost, right? So it's the local government. So you have your county council. So you'd have Dundalk County Council, Drogheda County Council, Loud County Council, for example. Their precursors would have been all reported into the customs house. So all their records would have gone up to Dublin. And if you can imagine the many thousands of names from townlands around both counties that would have mm. just gone in. What they lost was the inland revenue records. So your tax records. They're a, a tragic loss because when you're trying to find something, what is the old saying is you follow the money. The other thing that was lost was the wills and the state due. So when people died and they had a will, the tax due on their inheritance, that was lost. And then one of the most priceless loss was uh, the Board of Guardians records. So the Board of Guardians would have administered poor relief in workhouses. And those registers, there are some surviving for, for Loud. And I think they're held by Loud County Council. But those records were a priceless loss. Mm. And the same would apply to me, equally to Loud, the two yes. counties we cover yeah. here. The same yeah, thing, yeah. all the records there uh, would be impacted upon. And of course then, uh, talk about heaping, you know, misery on misery. Uh, in June 22, when the Public uh, Records Office went on fire, this compounded it all together. Are there any other routes or means to try to piece together the gap? Absolutely. So, as I mentioned, oral history in Ireland, in Mead and Loud and Dublin, all over the country, there are people who remember people who were involved in the War of Independence, who remember their names. So one of the things that wasn't lost was the 1901 and 1911 census. They are absolutely treasure troves for finding information about your family. And then the next thing is the Roman Catholic parish records. So they are an absolute gem of a find because they go back like really early in some places they go back to maybe the late 19th century late late 18th century um unfortunately though when as you said in 1922 the four courts the public records office went on fire a lot of the church of ireland records were destroyed so often the roman catholic records are the only records that have survived for some families if they were catholic which the majority of the population was at the time and besides the loss of the records, the damage to the building at the time, like you can imagine what two million pounds was the estimate from London yeah. uh, of what was caused. What would that be today when you put it into modern money terms? It'd be ginormous altogether. Yeah. And, you know, subsequent to, you know, the War of Independence and all the strife that went on, of course, as a state, the Irish Free State or the Republic of Ireland would have to pick up the pieces. Yeah, that's true. And it's uh, you've got this period in Irish history that's bookended by record loss. You have 1921, May 25th, there's the fire in the Customs House. 22nd of June, 1922, the forecourts goes on fire. So you've got this period that's wiped out hundreds of years worth of Irish records. Mm. And Mm. this, it's just, it's unfathomable to think of today. 
Mm. And, uh, you know, the legacy at that time that had to be, uh, you know, any war, any strife, of course, rebuilding has to happen afterwards. I take it the British were true to their word. They said no way were any money coming from their resources to restore it. Um, I can't quite recall exactly how much the British put in, but it did take several years to restore to its Okay, so they did position. contribute ultimately. Did they, they did help with the with the restoration of it. I don't know the exact figure. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's fair enough. But it had to be it had to be rebuilt. And look at it today when you look at it and look at the it's magnificent, it's fantastic that it still stands. You know, I was just thinking that uh, you know linking today and one hundred years ago, it's ironic, isn't it, that we. Mark this day today, and yet there's been a huge cyber attack on state yeah. records here. You know, with parallels. There's a, that's the great thing about history; it comes in cycles, and we can always draw parallels to the past. And that's why, when you're thinking about these events, they're trigger moments for your own family's history. So you can be there thinking about it, talking to your family, and someone will come along. Do you remember Uncle John? He, you know, was a driver during the Civil War, or Aunt Mary. She was in Common Lamont. Hundreds of thousands of Irish people took part in this agitation for freedom over a five, six, seven year period in their lives. And this is the centenary of this is the decade of centenaries, Mm. the very important moment in Irish history. And just think of all these ordinary people who took part in extraordinary moments. It's amazing. It is. And like there were people in Dublin working in some of the stores there who lost their lives. I was just reading up on the records uh, earlier on today. You know, somebody worked in one of the big stores in Dublin and he left there to go and be part of the uh, the group that uh, charged into the custom house and that and lost his life. There were fatalities as well there. But, you know, one minute serving people, working in a job, in a business in Dublin, the next a freedom fighter. Yeah, and that was the that was one of the things about why they chose the Customs House. It's right in the middle of Dublin. It's on a very busy port. It's right on the river. So you would have had boats coming up and down across the river. You have all these little shipping areas. Then just a little bit further down, you have O'Connell Street. So it's perfectly placed for people if they want to get involved to do so. And you can imagine the word spreading. People, the custom House is on fire. The custom House is on fire. And everyone, you know, coming up to have a look. And just imagine that spectacle. Another parallel with the tw- the day the Twin Towers and the planes went in, you know, on a huge scale in, in, in our lifetimes as well. You're right. It was incredible. And the images that would have flashed around the world, even though it was primitive communications at the time. Um, you know, coming back to what I've uh, mentioned a couple of times there, the gap in our knowledge and history and you've, uh, explain that there are other ways and the oral history, how important that is. Can it be, it can never totally be rebuilt, all that, uh, you know, vast reservoir of information. But how far do you think, you know, it's come? Would it be 50% or less or more? Well, there is a project being run by Trinity College Dublin called Beyond 2022, which is seeking to create create a virtual public records office. So ostensibly what was lost in 1922, but they will be seeking to include what was lost in the Custom House fire. And they're seeking the duplicates that are stored around the country, around Britain. And they want to digitise them and create a virtual public records office. So that's seeking to try and restore what was lost. There are other things that we can use, like there are census substitutes that cover, uh, you know, the mid-19th century. Mm. But there are some things, unfortunately, that just... 
they went up in smoke and we can never get back. Oh my, oh my, when you think of it now, it's it's a huge, huge loss. I mentioned at the start introducing you that it, it's still impacting today. That's That's so true and will. Yeah, and it's particularly true for things like so many of our Irish people emigrated. So if you think about uh, the diaspora worldwide who are trying to find out where they're from in Ireland, yeah, you know, they might know they're from Navan County Meath, but they, w- they might not be able to find out anything more than that because the records simply don't survive. And that's one of the things that, you know, is really resonating, particularly with, with a lot of Ancestry's customers, is that the trees that people create on Ancestry, they can help you link to people all over the world because you might not know about your great uncle Michael who left to go to Philadelphia, but his ancestors, his descendants might be trying to find you or they might be trying to find, they just want to know where they're from in Ireland. And that's the one thing the record loss hinders immensely. And what we try to do every day is to help tell these stories for people who remained in Ireland and who left. Mm. Since then, and when you look to today and the way we store data and keep data, oh God, I was going to say something there that I better rethink for a minute. After the cyber attack the other day, I was going to say to you, is everything safe and sound? How can I even contemplate that, Jennifer? No, there's still a vulnerability. But look, seriously, uh, modernisation, the uh, digitising of records going back, you know, after this time as well, it must be really great now at this stage. It's absolutely fantastic because you could find things in places that you never thought you might be able to find things in. And I mentioned church records before. And one of the great things about church records is godparents as sponsors, because you can find out who your your family's friends were and use that to try and find where they lived. In Ireland, people tend not to, unless they emigrate, people tend not to move very far. They, we usually say between you know six to ten miles through an ancestor's lifetime. Um, obviously it changed a little after the invention of the bicycle and people could cycle a lot further. Mm. But you're looking for, you know, ways and means to sort of create this picture of a community. And that's one of the reasons the census is also great, because you can see who's living with your family. You know, you might have an aunt or an uncle who's there, or there might be farm servants who later married into the family. It's it's just great sometimes. It's an addictive hobby. Oh, it has to be. I was going to finish off by saying that to you. I just can understand uh, talking to you today that this is a passion. You love what you do. Sure, it's not a job at all, is it? <laughs> I love going to work every day. Stories I hear. Stories like, I find. Yeah, it's a bit like myself here. You know what we're talking about. It's just such a joy. It really is. And I get that from you immensely. Well, look, I wish you well. And Ancestry, just to tell us about Ancestry, who you work for, people want to find a yeah. bit more, yeah? So it's Ancestry.ie and we are one of the largest collections in the world of genealogical records. We have some fantastic Irish records, including the Irish Roman Catholic baptisms. Mm. We have some, the Penny Sessions records, which are one of my favourite sets. Um, There's census records, there's land records, there's maps. Maps are just amazing because you get to see what the land looked like in, say, the 1850s. And it's Ancestry.ie. Lovely. You're great. I really enjoyed our chat. And thank you for joining us on this historic day. Have a great day. Take care. Bye-bye. That's Dr. Jennifer Doyle there from Ancestry.ie. 100 years ago today. Think about it, folks. Twin Towers, the big events in our lifetimes. The Custom House in Dublin on fire. The heart of government on the keys there and it going round the world. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Ah.
Robbie Williams and Angels on your late launch from his debut solo album Life Through a Lens 1997 made number four in the UK charts for our Robbie. Gene's been on to say, um, I like mice. Oh, uh, no, she doesn't. I'm only codding you. <laughs> She hates them, Louise. She hates them. You were looking at me there, Louise. Where you? you were looking a little bit I was puzzled. Going, that couldn't be right. <laughs> I said, I'll wake her up in there for a minute. No, Jean <laughs> hates them. She hates them. She really does. Mice and spiders. And she loves to see them R.I.P. Well, especially the mice. Not so much the spiders. I love a spider. I think a spider is God's creature. And for good luck, if I ever get a spider in my house and someone wants it moved, it gets a new home in my garage, I have to say. Antoine, love you. Do you remember I said earlier on that I could turn into a turnip here somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> nice because you're thick skinned enough. Oh, no, yeah, that <laughs> Louise. Thanks. Thanks indeed. I'm not really, you know, I'm an old softy. Anyway, Antoine was on to say, no way, Jerry, but you're some tulip. <laughs> 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 love it. Absolutely. I love it. I really do. Um, have you looked up in the sky? Did you look up in the sky? No at all last night. Have a look and see anything unusual. No? Moon. Yes. Yeah. Did you see it last night? The size of it. It was massive. I was watching Draw to win 4-1 and I just looked up and I said, oh, no blue moon tonight for the drugs. It was a great moon. A huge, yeah. huge moon something in the sky. Something to do with the closest to the earth yes, or something? Yes, yes. When the moon is at its closest to the earth and uh, you get a thing called a supermoon when it's at a full moon. Full moon, moon closest to the earth. Supermoon. Very simple. <laughs> Half moon, total yeah. eclipse. Half moon, total <laughs> eclipse. Yeah, yeah, that's what the, that's the Jaffa cake ad, is it? Yeah, it is. Anyway, it's a big, big moon in the sky, but it really is at its best tomorrow. From tomorrow, the 26th, if you look up. But it'll be there tonight again, and it'll be huge again. But there you are, supermoon. There's four of them this year, and one of them happening at the is moment. four every year? Well, that's a good question. You put me on the spot there. Having a clue. I do know there's four this year, but I don't know whether it happens every year. It depends on the planets and things like that. But there's something... Do you ever look at the moon? And, you know, I'd be telling Ava, uh, look at him. You see the man in the moon. Mm. And and you, you look... You will see your face if you look long enough at it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know what it is. You just convince yourself of the man in the moon. He's up there. I mean, you think that man did, you know, actually walk on the moon. He did for all the conspiracy theories. Sorry. Oh, they'll be back to me now. The vaxxers will be saying, we never walked on the they moon. They were props. It was a movie. They were props. It was filmed in Hollywood. Give us a bloody break, will you? Wake up and smell the coffee. Please do. Late lunch, LMFM Radio, 086-1800-658 if you want to give me a shout on the show. WhatsApp or text me straight to studio and give out or say what you like. I don't mind. Send us in a mess anyway. We'd love to hear from you. Anyway, next on the show, Karen Power. The key, the key, a big key in life is education and Karen will tell you why. You're so right. All creatures are God's creatures. A listener on to me there saying, you said spiders are God's creatures. So are mice, Jerry. They won't do you any harm. I couldn't agree with you more. But, you know, plagues of mice are difficulties. They are for mankind. And unfortunately, they have to be controlled. But you're 100% on the money there. Keep your comments coming to us on late lunch this afternoon. Now, listen to this. Only 1% have a degree. 13% complete a second level education and a very small number of those from the travelling community hold down jobs. Karen Power is an exception. Having uh, taken out her BA in youth work, she's now moved on to uh, graduate with a level 8 honours degree. And I'm delighted to say hello to her again on late lunch. Karen, lovely to have you back with us. 
Hi, Jerry. How are you? How are things? I'm really good. How are things yourself? Let me ask you. I know you have a lovely wee girl and you're studying and working. God, you're doing everything. How has this last 14 months been for you? Um, oh, God. I suppose the, the last year has been, I think I could say, a roller coaster to say the least. Um, you know, I was working there last September full time and I was studying full time. Um, I went back to do my level A as as you mentioned, um, I suppose we're in the middle of a pandemic and I also have a little 20-month-old um, baby girl. So um, the past year has been an absolute roller coaster, um, but a phenomenal year as well because there's been a lot of positives to come out of it. Like what? What do, what do you take? You know, I'm curious about this. You know, a lot of people have struggled so much. <coughs> your degree, of course, and your lovely little daughter. But what else? What are the other positives, do you think, from this time? Well, I suppose like in the middle of the pandemic, I was studying, I got to meet a lot of great new people. Um, I got to reconnect with old people. Um, I went back to my degree and, um, you know, I finished my degree. Um, I had my baby girl. I, I, my family have gotten very close together. You know, I think if one thing COVID has taught us, it's to like, you know, hold on to our families and to have have the days, you know, spend the days with our, our people that we love most. Mm-hmm. Um it's just been a, a great year in general. I really challenged myself um, and I've really just grown, I think, personally and professionally um, in going back and studying again. Great to hear it. All really positive. What have you missed? <laughs> I I haven't missed academics. I Referencing is just not my area. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so like, you know, in in the academic field, but in life in general, have you missed, I know you got closer to your family, you know, what, you know, wider than the family, what what has been the biggest loss in the year for you? Um... I'm not sure to be honest. I, I mean, I've I've really had a very collective year altogether. I've you know I got to spend the time at home with my baby and watch her grow and develop. I mean, not many mums get to have that opportunity yes. after having a baby because you know maternity leave is but like six months or something, and then you do return or, or whatever people do. But um, I mean, I've had a, a very pro, like positive and a, a very motivating year. Um, and like I said, challenges along the way, mm. absolutely, but. Um, I've just had a very um, rounded, a great year all round. You know something? You're a tonic today. You really are a tonic. It's <laughs> great to hear you and the positivity uh, that uh, is all around you. But look, taking a, a look at your education journey from you went to school first as a small girl through primary school, secondary school, on into third level education. I take it it hasn't been without its challenges. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and not just for myself, but for like travellers in general I suppose the thing I was wanted to speak about especially today was like the barriers that travellers face um, when entering into third level and for me that's an important area that I think as a society we all need to look at Um, you know like I suppose some of the key areas I could mention would be like a lack of representation within third level or education as a whole Um, the finance side of education because we know fees are so expensive and like for especially like members like of the Travers community, literacy might be an issue. So like sourcing those finances to access uh, education mightn't be as accessible for everybody. Uh, and then I suppose the big thing um, after doing my thesis and stuff that has come up as well is around identity and how many Travers still suppress their identity 
um, going into third level or when uh, in education, you know, they mightn't tell people that they are a traveller and that's totally fine. But there are positives and negatives to that as well. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, I have had a very positive and a very um, amazing journey in my educational journey. And I'm very proud to be where I'm at today. But it's not the same for everybody. And that's um, that's where the problem is. Isn't that shocking? Isn't that shocking to think? And not Absolutely. just in education, but in life, where members yeah. of the travelling com- community take their place in, in very prominent positions and any type of job, really, that you can't say who you are. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, just even in education, like there's extremely low representation in education for that travelling community. And I was just around doing my research, my thesis, like I found so many statements around Travis, like saying that they feel invisible within the education sector. And you spoke there at the beginning just about the 1%. I was like with the 1%, but that was in 2016. And that was under the age of 25 that was in education. So those statistics could be better now. And I hope that they are. Mm. Um, I'm sure they have come up a little bit. Um but yeah, I mean, the visibility and the recognition and it needs to be improved in the, the, the education sector. It certainly does. But you have to look at your situation and you have a, a brother and a couple of sisters who've all gone on as well. Do you put it down to your parents? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it is the motivation and the willingness to want to go to and further and better yourself in education. But it's also who your support systems are. And I mean, my mum would have been my guiding compass Um um, throughout my life and you know would have supported the education system and herself she herself has got us checked in youth work and went back with three kids and studied and you know she really valued um, education um, whereas my dad would have left education at quite a young age um, but my mum would have really valued education and, and you know represented us to, to go and be and do what we wanted to do in life. And, you know, she said, when you have an education behind you, you go further. Mm, Absolutely. Education is the key. I always said it, and I was ingrained with that, thank God, uh, by my late mother and father as well. You know, uh, social integration, and I'm going to be talking more about this in a general sense tomorrow on the show, but, like, you know, uh, the travelling community generally keep themselves to themselves. They like to, a lot of people like to do that as well. And, and integration is not easy to integrate into society where you may not be welcome as well. Through your thesis and your studies and your experience, now you're only a young girl still. That's a big question, isn't it? How you, 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 you fix that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose if we're, if we're going on the education side of things, I mean, for me... I would suggest that we, like, I personally think we need to look at travellers um, before they start struggling, Jerry. Like, you know, we need to get them at that, maybe that secondary or could even be that primary level. Yeah. And, you know, we need to have the right support and services in place. We need to have earlier intervention, like, because everybody knows that, you know, the travellers are underrepresented in education. So if we know this, let's put earlier interventions into place that we can, you know, have that process of transitioning from primary to secondary and then hopefully secondary into third level because, I mean, third level is a big, bad world when you come from secondary. You know, it's, it's a whole new level mm. of um, of education and, you know, it, it's, it's a lot harder. And if you come from a community where literacy skills are an issue and, you know, you might struggle more so than other people. So I suppose... What I'm trying to say is, like, 
treating everybody equal is not always enough to foster maybe equality. You know, sometimes we need to be proactive and deliberate in our in our um, processes, and we need to, you know, it's like the equity versus equality. We need to just sometimes give someone a little bit more to be as equal as someone else. Exactly. Well said. Well said. And when you're coming from a low base, my God, you need more support and help. That is for sure. I I actually was really upset looking in the the last couple of days where... uh, Journalists went in and researchers to uh, a place, I can only call it a place where travellers are living, I think it's in the Dublin area, to talk to the young people, the children, you know what I mean, the teenagers. Mm-hmm. And when you see how disadvantaged they are, my God, how the hell can they get out of it without major help? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm yeah. sure you, you, you're familiar with this. You've seen it yourself over the years as well. You know what I mean? And and it, it just is, it, it emphasises, I'm just saying that to emphasise what you have just said there a, a moment ago. Now, you're involved in this thing, no pun intended, called Involve. Uh, <laughs> tell us a bit about this and what you're doing there. Yeah, so my actual, my job at the moment is um, with Involve CLG. Um, so I'm a project worker with the staff toolkit. And um, so basically the status was um, in conjunction with the NITRIS st- uh, strategy. And basically what status is, is it's a toolkit, a self-assessment toolkit for um, so uh, services and organisations to be more inclusive, more welcoming. And in turn, this toolkit, when they self-assess and go through the process of it, it will help them to better uh, retain and participate with travellers and members of the travel community and like I mean this toolkit looks at you know board of management it looks at advocacy it looks at like on the ground participation you know so it's a really amazing toolkit and we're looking we're working at the minute on um uh, kind of training workshops and you know getting um organizations to be part of the workshops on how to implement it uh into their um organizations um and I suppose as well just like I, I do feel as well that an important part of status toolkit would be like we're talking about like maybe going into like you know the third level where the students are at so say for like example I was in the level 8 degree there you know target those students that are going out into the workplace and you know train them and let them know how to use and, and implement this and that's where the change is going to happen you know with those fresh students coming into the workplace and you know and that's that's where the change can foster from Mm, you're right again back to the point that education and intervention from an early age is a key it is the way forward when you mention you know you did your BA and now your your uh, honours are higher or whatever are you accepted you're so proud of your tradition and your cultural as a culture as well you make no secret of it everybody knows is there an acceptance when you're at that level among peers who are doing the same studies as yourself um, as in to go into third Yes, level, that they or? treat you just as any, you know, there's no difference. You know what I mean? It's not just you. If you talk about a minority or somebody of a different skin colour mm-hmm. or whatever, did you find it, you know, no no issue, never any issues there? You're accepted, you're one of the gang or whatever. I mean, I mean, I can't speak for all Trevor's, but what I can say is that, like, I personally, like in terms of my class, I would have been a minority within the majority. So yeah. I was one of the only travellers in my class, as I, I I known of at the time. And even going back this year, my level eight, I was the only traveller definitely yeah. in my class. Um, but uh, I mean, 
when travellers go into third level, I think the problem is, you know, they go into certain courses or certain um, areas of um, of education and it's familiar to them. And then when they figure out, you know, there's, there's low representation, there's no, like, familiar faces, mm. you know, they don't have that sense of belonging or identity. Yes. And that's really, really hard because that's what helps the progression, you know, like having people in, I was, all mom was saying in meetings recently, like that we need to have better representation within third level. Yeah. So we need yeah. to have even like from second level as well, I was saying earlier, we need to maybe have that peer mentorship program to help the transition into third level. Yeah. Um, and then when in third level, then we need to see travellers in the positions of access. You know, we need to see the faces on student council boards. We need to see traveller equality officers, you know. Yeah. All so those that's what's type gonna of things. help the travellers to stay yes. in third level yeah. and feel like they belong. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's what did. that's what we need to see. That is what that mm-hmm. we need to see. Look, I have to leave it there for today. You're great. Keep on doing what you're doing. No Some bias. done, a lot more to do. That's the message today. Karen Power, thank you for joining me on Late Lunch thank again. Thank you, Jerry. Take thank care of yourself. Bye bye. Bye bye. Linda, thank you for letting us know. There's a wheelbarrow on the M1 near the Lusk service station on the northbound lane, and Linda says it's really dangerous. She just passed it there. A wheelbarrow. Who the hell did it fall off something? If you're driving northbound M1 at the Lusk service station in that area, there's a wheelbarrow on the road. Really dangerous. And you see, you can't stop, I know, to take it away. Thanks, Linda, for the message. Appreciate it. Christy says, Jerry, when we were small, we all ate chocolate mice. They were a penny each and they were lovely. So tell the people who don't like mice to eat them. <laughs> Is there still chocolate mice? I haven't seen them lately, chocolate mice. We might check that one out when we're on the uh, the news break at three o'clock. Chocolate mice, are they still a thing? Um, and another one here saying, uh, like mice, says Tommy in uh, Mead today, I love them when they're like greyhounds in the traps. <laughs> You're very wise. You're very wise, people. A very smart turn of phrase. Thanks indeed. Keep them coming to us. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me. Still to come on Late Lunch. Coldplay, my artist of the week. She's lopping our locks for charity. A mean lady. We're going to hear about that after three as well. But on the way to news, weather and sport at three, it's Katie Tunstall. And suddenly I see a mouse. A mouse in the studio, is it? A mouse. Mary was in touch with us to say she was shopping this morning and just turned around to a lady and said, isn't the weather very showery and disappointing? And the reply was, sure, I didn't ask for you to talk to me. She was rebuked. I didn't ask for you to talk to me, was the response. Making chat, being friendly. What's gone wrong with people nowadays, says Mary. I'm still shocked with the reply I got. Why can't people be friendly and respectful? Mary, thanks for letting us know. I'm going to come back to that on the show presently over the next uh, few days for sure. Thanks for uh, your message to us on the show this afternoon. Patricia says, mice, no, spiders, yes, Jerry. There you go, 50-50 between the spice and the miters. Uh, <laughs> the uh, mice and the spiders even. Maureen was on to say, there are still chocolate mice. Louise, you were saying that, weren't you? I sold some last week in the shop where I work. Yes, there are chocolate mice yeah, for sale. Yeah, there's white and pink. You can get them in like Tesco or deals. Most places still sell them. That's I haven't seen any of the, the, the brown chocolate ones with the toffee in a while though. Do they have size? <laughs> <laughs> size and mice. <laughs> 
<laughs> so chocolate mics are still a thing. You can still yeah. get them. Maureen, thanks for letting us know. Really appreciate all your comments to the show every single day. Now, my artists of the week are Coldplay. Their second album, A Rush of Blood to the Head, was released in 2002 to coincide with an 18-month world tour where they played to sell out adoring audiences. MTV, Grammy and other awards all came their way with Rolling Stone magazine choosing them as Artists of the Year in 2003. They then took a performing sabbatical working on their next album which was called X and Y which they released in 2005. They were indeed the band for their time with comparisons being made between Coldplay and U2 in their pomp. The album Viva La Vida followed becoming the best-selling album worldwide in 2008. The noughties came to a close with Coldplay universally so popular, their sales outstripped everyone else in the business. Yet their social consciousness and support for justice and fairness always remained central to who and what they were. Amnesty International, Fair Trade, Make Poverty History and more besides are all beneficiaries from the band who give 10% to charity. All the things that you do. Coldplay and Yellow, my artists of the week. Yes, the band give 10% of all their profits to charity. Isn't that a nice touch? Really good touch, you know, and uh, that means a lot to an awful lot of people. Yes, the great guys, Coldplay. Slain, please, Henry. Come on. Come on. Come on, Henry. Slain, Coldplay. The tickets will be gone in jig time. Oh, Louise, she's back. Magella. Magella's back. I wonder, is Magella Dimpner from the... Uh the highs ad in disguise. What do you think? Yeah, I think we know her. Do we know uh, Magella? I wonder if the ring or would she pick up? Oh, I wonder. We'll have to try. Will we? Magella says, Magella, <laughs> here, Jerry. If you turned into a turnip, I'd have you for dinner <laughs> every day. Dinner Saucy. every day. Oh, Magella, you are awful, but I like you. <laughs> As Dick Emery used to say all those years ago. Anyway, we have a lovely story coming for you to finish the show today. Ah, oh, I'm looking at her here. Look at her lovely hair and the length of it. And she's going to cut it. She's going to cut it. Fiona Hamill Riley is with us next. I am looking at a picture of Fiona Hamill Riley, and she has the most beautiful long hair. But it is to be no more because this Thursday it's gone. Well, not all of it, but a good foot of the hair is gone. She's going to be so different. She's on the line to tell me more. Hello, Fiona. Hi, Jerry. Thank you for having me on. It's not too late. It's not too late. It is, it is. So many people have donated to these wonderful charities. I can't possibly say no now. Oh, you backed yourself in. Well, I'm just looking at your hair. God, it's taken a while to grow to this length, hasn't it? It has been long my entire adult life. Um, it, it's never been short. Even as a child, it's it's been long always. So this is going to be a huge change, um, but it's going to be worth it. Do you envisage what it will look like, you know, when... Because really you're going to have a bob or a little bit longer than a bob, aren't yeah. you? Yeah, very slightly longer than a bob. Um, and considering my hair is now down to my higher waistline, it, it's going to be a big difference. There's at least 12 inches of hair been chopped off. So the first time ever you're going to have a totally, totally new look. Hey, tell me, what does the hubby and the, the youngsters think of Mammy? They think it's a, a midlife crisis. 
<laughs> uh, no, the kids and family are so supportive of me. Um, it's something that that I got into my head that I was going to cut my hair, and of course, it is so long that there's no way you would cut your hair like that for no good reason. And mm. um, so I decided that you know if I was going to do it, we're going to make a plan and do some good good with it. So they're a hundred percent behind me. That's great to so hear. Fun. Now you're doing it for a very particular reason. Tell us. I'm doing it for two different charities. So my hair itself is going to the Little Princess Trust. Um, and they are a wonderful charity and they provide real hair wigs free of charge to ro- to young people um, who have lost their hair due to cancer treatment or other conditions. Mm. Um, it's so expensive to make wigs for children and they, they do it completely free of charge. So my hair will go to them and they will provide a wig. Great. And, um, while doing that, um, I'm keeping the, the fundraising charity here in Ireland and it is Childhood Cancer Foundation Ireland who are based in Meads. So they're based in Dunboyne County Meads and I'm raising funds to help support them. Oh, they do great work. They really do uh, across the board for youngsters and that who face this uh, journey they really shouldn't have to face at such a young age. So two aspects to, to this and you've been fundraising away. Uh, look, t- today on the show, how do people support you? Because I know you're going to get a, another well of support ahead of Thursday. What's the easiest way to give you well, some? Well, absolutely. Look, I'm, I'm on Facebook myself and it's Fiona Hamill and it's the Big Chop. But like that, it might be very hard for me, for people to find me on Facebook. So the charity itself, the Childhood Cancer Foundation Ireland, have their own kind of text line. Okay. Where if you text GOLD, G-O-L-D, to 50300, you can donate directly to them. And you can donate five euro to them. Ah, lovely. Um, so that's GOLD, the word GOLD, to 50300 for a fiver. For a five euro. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's just a text. Obviously, they can go online or ring and, and donate you know, different amounts. But that's it, it's a handy one. It'll be very hard for people to, to maybe find my actual fundraiser. Mm, mm. Um, but it itself is going very well. It is. And it's Fiona Hamill, the big cut, is that what it's called? Fiona Hamill, the big cut. The big on chop. Facebook. The big chop, sorry. The big chop on Facebook. Chop and Facebook. folks, it is a big chop. Oh, yeah, big chop I'm yeah. looking here. Listen, you've got to send us a picture, won't you, afterwards? Um, Please do. You know, send Louise in a picture that we can have a look at the before and after. And of course, somebody has to do the chop. Who is it? Somebody has to do the chop. So I have a, a local hairdresser here, Ashley Bird. Um, and she's a freelance hairdresser, so she's going to come on Thursday and do it. Ah, oh, and uh, you will be so different at that stage. So you're not. No, I was only cutting, of course. You can't back out at this stage. You're in for a penny, in for a pound, Absolutely. as they say, all the way. Absolutely. So, and the work the Childhood Cancer Foundation do, mm. you know, they they do so much work that people don't even realise some of the stuff that they do and they do need the funding so yeah. I'm I'm 120% confident that you know what I'm doing will do some good mm. You're well known uh, for your role and you give to uh, back to the community yourself to say the Athboy St. Patrick's Day Committee you've been secretary there for a while and no blinking parades are you hopeful I know it's a long way off but uh, people hoping we'll be back on the road with the parades next year Oh 
absolutely, wouldn't it just be wonderful? Yeah. Two years now with no parade, we can't go a third one. Mm. It would be devastating to, to go a third one without having oh, yeah, some yeah. form of celebration. Yeah, please God we will, because they will miss. People love them uh, up and down the country, and it's a mark, of course, of our, our national day as well. Oh, it is, absolutely. So no chance of cold feet, no chance of going into hiding or running away before Thursday, nothing like that's going to happen. You will be there. When is it happening? Morning, afternoon it or evening? happening on Thursday at half past five. Right, evening time. So It is happening. Um, and the whole family will be home, so I can't go anywhere. <laughs> I will be here oh. and it will go ahead. Ah, oh, well, listen, you're great. You really are great to do this, you know, and no prompting or whatever to get rid of hair, years of uh, a hair look that you've enjoyed all your lifetime for something quite different. But you are, of course, supporting the Little Princess Trust and Childhood Cancer Foundation Ireland. Again, folks, a fiver if you text the word GOLD Two five zero three zero zero. That's five zero three zero zero. And the Facebook Fiona Hamill. The big chop is where it can be supported as well. I wish you well. Send us the pics, won't you, please? I will, Jerry. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining me on the show. You're great. Take care. That's Fiona Hamill. Riley there speaking to me today as she's going to lop the locks and a lot of it this Thursday. Aren't people just great? They're fantastic. I really say it. There's that uh, lady doing that and uh, she'll look quite different. She will. Louise, I was only saying to you, wasn't I? Get my hair cut short, yeah. Will you ever? <laughs> you keep saying it to me, Jerry. Well, I'm kind of wondering why ever? do you keep saying it? <laughs> no, I mean, like, look, look at Fiona there for for example. No, I'm just saying. I'd be that freezing. My neck would be. I mean, would you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm cold anyway. You're always bloody. No, don't get it cold. Oh Jesus, I'm changing my mind. No, I don't want to hear any more about being cold. You're all right. I don't think I. I don't know it. It'll take a lot for me to get my hair cut right short. Mm, yeah, mm, Rapunzel, you're the Rapunzel of <laughs> LMFM. Remember Rapunzel and the hair? Yes, the little book about her, of course. Yeah, but there you are. Anyway, sure, I'm only cotton. Yeah, do what you ivory want. Tower, do what you want yourself, and if someday you do, and someday you don't, well, look. Whatever, whatever, as they say. Now, tomorrow, what have we tomorrow coming up on Late Lunch? We have Sarah Carey, haven't we, joining us tomorrow on the show? Very interesting, Sarah, uh, talking about social integration. It's an interesting argument. You know, I I saw writing about it recently, Mm -hmm. and I want to have a chat with her about it, building on what we're talking about today on the show with Karen Power, but much wider indeed. Harry Barry's here. Yes, Harry's with us. New book. New book about change. And we've all had to change this last year. And change, of course, Louise, change. Change. I'm wearing a ponytail tomorrow. How about that? It's it's part of life. Sorry, sorry. And uh, we'll be talking seagulls on the show as well tomorrow with Tom Cardiff. He's the man, like people have a lot of difficulties with gulls on their roofs and in urban areas. And we've spoken to Tom a few times in the past and he has a significant update for us about the law and everything around seagulls. We're going to be talking about it on the show tomorrow. And of course, all we need is you tomorrow afternoon. And remember, if you have a guest, a suggestion, you want us to talk about something, do get in touch with us. Late lunch at lmfm.ie. That's our email address out of ours. Late lunch at lmfm.ie. Get straight to myself or Louise at any stage. Hope you have a lovely Tuesday evening. Take care of yourselves. Eddie's rare to go with the drive next. Wonderful music and more besides over the next couple of hours here on LMFM Radio. We'll be back tomorrow, 1.30. Until then... Bye-bye.
The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We have the biggest range of light commercials in the northeast with same-day business finance, so let our van specialist Danny find a commercial vehicle to suit your requirements. See blackstonemotors.ie Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.